I want us to go tonight again to the book of Proverbs, chapter 29. And uh, we kind of got away from it last week a little bit, talking about some other things and uh, looking at uh, the world around us and um, recognizing, I believe, that the Lord's about to really believe that we are we are on the precipice of as i said last week both very very bad times and very very good times amen bad times for the world good times for the church although when i say good times for the church i'm talking spiritually because i do think that part of what's going to happen uh, if the Lord doesn't get us out of here quickly, is we're going to be suffering more and more persecution. And we talked about that last week, and I don't want to get too sidetracked on all that. I will say I've been extremely disappointed in a number of writings from apostolics, even those in leadership, who have condemned our good sister for the stand that she has made. And... Um, I told you Tuesday night that I felt like it wasn't over. Uh, she has not yet gone back to work. We'll see how all that plays out. But I did read that, uh, can you believe it, they, they played some song when she came out of the jail, and the group that recorded that song is now suing her um, and uh, the uh, politician that put together that rally suing them for the use of that song, suing them for, uh, I think, $1.4 million or something just for playing that song. Obviously, she had no control over what was played. And uh, I've kind of got a feeling if she is as apostolic as we are, we, uh, I know that's not the song I would have wanted played. I, I would have wanted him to play something like He Set Me Free or... Not some some song out of a Hollywood movie. So I doubt seriously that she even knew anything about that, but yet she's been named in a lawsuit. And as I said, I told you Tuesday night, this is not over. This is long, long from being over. Amen. So we need to continue to pray for her and uh, pray for... The Bible tells us to pray for those that are... Uh, over us, for kings, for all that are in authority. Uh, the, uh, as much as our answer doesn't lie in politics, we are still commanded to pray for our political authorities. And the reason we do that is for our own comfort and safety. That's why the Bible tells us to do it. Hallelujah. And so we, we have an obligation to do that and need to be doing that. Uh, don't think that just because we live in Kansas that it can't come here to our doorstep as well. Precedents are being set and directions are being set. And um, it does not bode well for this country. But as I said Thursday night, last Thursday night, I do believe that God 
is going to do great things. God is going to turn it all around for his glory. He may not make things more comfortable for us, but he will make them more glorious for his church. And that's where we have to keep our focus. Amen. Psalm 29, and we are reading just one verse of Scripture as we try to bring to a conclusion what I thought would be just one night of study. And now uh, this is actually the fourth night we've talked about this, the third night that we have talked about this part of it, but the fourth night that we have been on this general topic. And um, so Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18, the Bible says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there's no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Happy is he. Amen. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And so tonight is part three of what I am calling expanding the vision. Expanding the vision. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Amen. Ask him to meet with us tonight. We need the touch of the Holy Ghost here, church. We need the touch of the Holy Ghost here tonight, church. Let me say it again. We need the touch of the Holy Ghost here tonight. Come on, I don't want to just go through the motions of a church service tonight. I want the power of God to come and meet with us in this place. Let's, let's open our hearts. Let's open our spirits. Let's open our minds right now, everybody. Lord, in Jesus' Hallelujah. Let's worship him together. Everybody right now, let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. as I said last week, and didn't deal with this subject. So I do think that it would be good for us to just do a rather brief review to remind us of the topic at hand. Uh, I mentioned to you a number of weeks ago that uh, while we were at the minister's seminar in Tulsa in, uh, in um, August, that I felt like the Lord talked to me. And uh, let me know that it was important that I come back to this church and remind you of the vision that I have for this assembly and what I am believing that God...
God is going to do here. We talked about that in that first lesson and we called it uh, Renewing the Vision. And I just described for you in a nutshell what things um, I feel like that from the time that I came here that God has put in my heart that he wanted to uh, see accomplished in this church. And then I came back the next week with a second lesson and uh, we entitled that Expanding the Vision because in the first part of that lesson we dealt mostly with the numeric side of the things that I believe God wants to accomplish here. Uh, and, and yet there is so much more than just numbers. There is so much more than just how many people sit on these pews. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And in fact, if we're going to see the numerical growth that I believe God wants us to see, it's only going to come through spiritual efforts. There are things that God wants to accomplish in our character and in our spiritual development that must take place for us to see the fullness of what God wants. Hallelujah. I hope, I pray tonight that everybody, that everybody under the sound of my voice shares my vision for what we want to become. I hope, I hope that you're looking regularly at that picture that I handed out just a few nights ago and that you're keeping that before you and that you're doing what I ask you to do. And that is every morning when you get up, you're saying, all right, God, what can I do to help bring this to pass? What can I do to help accomplish this goal? What can I do? What part can I play in all of this to see it happen? And so I began to outline for you the things that uh, I believe have to take place in us spiritually for us to accomplish the other goals that we have set. Amen. Praise God. Um, and so uh, I've talked to you about, number one, we must be a people church. And we'll say a people church. A people church. We, we have got to love everybody. Everybody. We got to love everybody. We've got to have a desire to win the lost. Well, praise God. I mean a desire to win the lost. And, and you, know how you, ha you, you know how you can tell if you have a desire to win the lost is nobody has to ask you to go on outreach because you understand your whole life is an outreach. Everywhere you go, it's about trying to win somebody to God. And we must be a unified people. We've got to love one another like never before. Well, I think that got less response than anything, and that may be the beginning of everything else. 
As a church, as a church, we've got to stop allowing the devil to divide us. We've got to make up our minds. Now listen to me. Some of you shake your head yes, and then the first time somebody says something you don't like, you're, you're mad, you're blown up, you got a bad attitude about it, you want to take it out on them, that's got to stop. We've got to understand that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. The person on the pew is not your enemy. We are wrestling against principalities and powers. Well, hallelujah. And so, so we've got to be unified. All that's a part of being a people church. Everyone say a people church. Secondly, we've got to be a productive church. Everyone say a productive church. That is, we've got to be producing other churches. We've got to be reaching out around us in this area, planting churches here, but planting churches wherever God opens the door. We've got to have a vision that goes beyond these four walls. It's got to be more than just Olathe. Well, hallelujah. We've got to have a vision that wherever God opens the door, we're going to do our best to plant a church that believes what we believe. And if that's in Kansas City, wonderful. But if it's in another state, just as wonderful. And if it's overseas, just as wonderful. Hallelujah. We've got to be a productive church. Say it again, a productive church. Number three, we've got to be a praying church. Got to be a praying church. I'm telling you, we, we, and, and, and I, said this, I said this the night that I taught on it, but, but there's got to be something about it that we don't just pray when somebody's pushing us to pray. We walk in here on Tuesday night and we get a hold of God. Number one, we walk in on Tuesday night. Number two, when we do, we really pray. We really get a hold of God. We're not just mumbling a few words. We don't just bury our face in the pew and and whisper a few things to God because it is the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that avails much. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If we're going to lift our prayers to heaven, we've got to lift our voices. We need to get a hold of God with a desperation. We've got to be a praying church. And number four, we must be a praising church. Everyone say, a praising church. Amen. We've got to put worship at the forefront of our efforts. Again, it's not about somebody pushing you to worship. If somebody's got to say, come on church, let's worship before you really get with it, there's a problem. Your worship ought to be spontaneous. You ought to come in here with a worship on your lips. You ought to come in here with praise in your heart. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. 
We shouldn't be waiting on someone else to run the aisles or waiting on someone else to dance. I'm telling you, every one of us need to take the lead. I'm going to do everything I can to worship God. We've got to create an atmosphere in our services that allows the Spirit of God to move so we can reach the lost when they come. Hallelujah. So we've got to be a people church, a productive church, a praying church, a praising church. And now we're ready to go on with number five. We want to talk to you about this aspect. We must be a peculiar church. Everyone say a peculiar church. Now, I don't mean odd. Although that's what the word peculiar means now. Strange. But that's not what the word means in the Bible. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar a people. A peculiar people. A peculiar people. That ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All right, now, now look. This is the way the true church is described. That we are a peculiar people. And the word peculiar in, in the original language means unique. It means set apart. You know, I, I don't know how language has evolved. I don't know how we've reached the point today that if we say someone was peculiar, we mean they were acting odd. But the way that word was originally used was, if you talked about, you know, you said somebody, that, that that's a very peculiar piece of furniture. It didn't mean it was an odd. It meant it was unlike any other. It looked different. It felt different. It was unique in some way. And the thing that God has always said about his people is that we would be a peculiar people. We're not like everybody else. I don't know how many of you saw it, but just today, the USA Today, because of Sister Kim Davis, put out an article about who is Kim Davis and what's with the long hair, something to that effect. And, and, and people are noticing this. And, and listen, one of the articles I read... Uh, a woman claimed to be apostolic. I don't know if she was or not. Claimed to be apostolic, but said she's embarrassed now by the way she looks because people are only going to see Kim Davis when they see her. And people are going to see her as a homophobe and, and, and uh, someone that hates others. I still say, as I said last Thursday night, this to me is the greatest opportunity we have to stand tall with our shoulders square back and say, I'm one of them. She's a part of what we are. This is who we are. This is the way we are. This is the way we look. I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I think it, I don't know if I've, I've read so many articles over the last few days. I think, I think it is the USA Today article that says of apostolics that women have to let their hair grow long, but men pretty much look like everybody else. I, I disagree with that statement. I understand what they're saying, but I'm telling you, in this world, our men don't need to look like the men of the world. I'm we don't need to be setting our standards based on what Hollywood looks like. 
Well, hallelujah. We don't need to be trying to follow the latest fads. Those people should not be our role models. The sports figures should not be our role models. Are you hearing me tonight? I'm telling you, their lives are so messed up. And yet I see certain looks among quote-unquote apostolics that do look like everybody else. And I'm telling you, you can have your hair short and still look worldly. Still look like one of them. But God wants us, both men and women, to be different. I'm telling you, we need to be able to walk down the street and everybody know that's an apostolic. No, last week we went off to Branson and, and there were a lot of Pentecostals there. And, and sometimes you kind of look and you're having to try to figure out are they or aren't they. It shouldn't be that way. There shouldn't be any question. Shouldn't be any question. But there were some there, Brother Jared. There were some there that my wife and I said, now those people are apostolic. We can tell they're apostolic. There's no question they're apostolic. Dress like that in this hot sun, those people are apostolic. Thank God. Thank God for the apostolic look. I'm not embarrassed by it. I'm glad he called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I don't mind standing out in a crowd. Hallelujah. I, I have told many times, and I, I didn't get to my scriptures, but told many times about being at a, a, at a concert here in town uh, when a well-known singer stopped uh, my wife and me and asked us if we were apostolic. And I just smiled. I said, how can you tell? And he smiled back. He said, you got that look about you. I'm glad we've got that look about us. And I remarked to my wife, and I'm not throwing stones at anybody, but I remarked to my wife, I said, I can guarantee you, he didn't stop anybody in that crowd and say, you're a Baptist, aren't you? You're a Methodist, aren't you? I guarantee he didn't do that. But there's something about us and the way we look, and that's the way it ought to be. And I'm going to tell you, New Life, as much as I want to see this church grow, we're not compromising on our stand for holiness to draw a crowd. I still believe everything that I have believed. I still stand for the same principles of righteousness and separation. Amen. We can't look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, dress like the world, think like the world. And still claim to be apostolic. Hebrews 12, 14. Follow peace with all, Follow men, peace with all men. And holiness. And holiness. Without which, without which no, no man. man no man. Everyone say no man. No man can see the Lord. Now, you know, I could spend a lot of time on that first part, and maybe I should, considering the response I got when I mentioned about unity. Amen. This is just as important. Both parts of this verse are equally important. we got to be following peace with all men, not stirring up strife, not trying to cause problems. Well, hallelujah. 
Are you young people listening to me? I'm telling you, getting all these little things going among yourselves and this one's mad at that one and this one's up, that's got to stop. You hear me? Got to stop. Come on, parents, don't you sit on me now. That stuff's got to stop. We got to learn to get together and work together and love one another. Quit spreading rumors on everybody. Stop telling things. If somebody does something they shouldn't do, I'm the one you ought to come tell, not somebody else in the youth group. Don't run it by three or four people saying, well, do you think I ought to go to pastor with this? No, you come straight to me with it. Everybody else doesn't need to know about it. Well, it's the truth anyhow. It's the truth. But the other part of this is also true. That without holiness, no man's going to see the Lord. Do you understand? Do you understand what that verse says? Jesus said, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven if you're not born again. But the Bible goes on to say, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven if you don't live holy. So just the fact that somebody has repented of their sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, talking in tongues, does not mean they've got a guaranteed ticket into the pearly gates. Well, we still have to live holy. And holiness, perfect holiness, perfect holiness. I, I, I didn't even give you that verse on the sheet, but... but uh, um, the Bible speaks of perfect holiness, of perfecting holiness. And, and when it speaks of perfecting holiness, what, what he says is that, uh, that it is to cleanse yourself of all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Hallelujah. This is what God commands of us. Holiness is not just an attitude. It's also the way we look. It's not just the way we look. It's also an attitude. And we don't have holiness if we don't have it on the inside and the outside. Well, hallelujah. Let me just remind you tonight. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 6. This is what he said. For I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I change not. I change not until until the 21st century. Now, once we get to the 21st century, everything changes. We don't abide by all those old-fashioned Neanderthal ideas anymore. We don't have to do those things. We don't have to look that way. We don't. Once we get to the 21st century, everything changes. It's not what he said, is it? He said, "I am the Lord. I change." Not. I'm telling you, I don't care if we get to the 31st century. What's in this book is still right. It is now and it will always be an abomination for a woman to wear what pertains to a man. Makes God sick. Makes God sick for a man to put on a woman's garment. There are just some things that are forever settled. They don't change. 
Well, praise God. And if God, if, if God doesn't change, then his standards don't change. It's amazing to me. I hear other religious groups making fun of themselves for the standards they used to hold. In fact, if you listen to just about any Christian comedian today, at some point they'll talk about, you know, well, I'm a Baptist, and, and Baptists, well, we didn't used to dance. Ha, 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 ha. Well, what's so funny about that? We'll be all right. We're in the sanctuary. We're going to be all right. I know everybody's looking at, listening to the sound of the whatever's falling right now. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. We're in here. We're safe. We'll worry about it when we get out, right? Don't lose your focus right now. Stay with me. This is important stuff. This is important for us to become what God wants us to be. It's important that we understand, amen, God's word doesn't change. It doesn't change. His standards don't change. And I don't think it's funny to look back and say, well, we used to do this, but we don't anymore. We're enlightened today. No. No, don't tell me you're enlightened today. I'm telling you, you don't have the power you used to have. You don't have the glory you used to have. And you want to know why? Because power and glory go along with holiness. And every church that loses its holiness loses its glory and its power. It's right. They lose it. And I'm going to tell you what else. It's not long before they start losing their doctrine. Because holiness is a part of doctrine. And when you give in on that, you have surrendered doctrine. The first step is holiness. I've watched it play out in the last few years more than at any point in my lifetime. I've watched them. They start out by just, well, the Bible doesn't really say this is wrong. I know it's been the way we've always stood, but the Bible doesn't really say it's wrong, so I'm not going to preach against it. And then before long, they start explaining away what the Bible does say. And then it's not long until they're bringing in men to stand behind their pulpits who don't even believe the apostolic message anymore. And then it's not long until they're telling the people just to accept Christ and they'll be all right. It is a very slippery slope. I just want to reassure New Life Pentecostal Church tonight, it ain't happening here. We're going to set those boundaries. We're going to keep those fences secure. We're not changing. We're not backing down. Well, hallelujah. I'm not here to draw a crowd. I'm here to build a church. And without holiness, we don't have a church. All we have is a crowd. The very word church in the Greek is ekklesia. It means called out ones. They've never been called out of the world. They're not in the church. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. And if God's standards don't change, then his message doesn't change. That's right. And there's still only one way to be saved. There's only one way to be saved. And it's not through ignorance. There are those among us who are saying that today, not among us, but among us, you understand, 
who are saying today that if somebody doesn't know the truth, God will go ahead and save them because they didn't know. I'm going to tell you, people can be saved through ignorance. Then let's shut our mouths and not say a word to anybody and let the whole world be saved. But they're not saved through ignorance. They're only saved one way, and that's through obedience to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Read. Then Peter Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, baptized, every one of you, in the name name of Jesus Christ, Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's it. That's it. There's no other way to be saved. That's the only choice we have. God didn't pick three or four different men to build boats in Noah's day. So, all right, Noah, you build one this way, and then, you know, so-and-so, you build one this way, and so-and-so, you build one, and then let people pick what boat they want to get on. There was one boat, and it had one door, and the whole world rejected it, but God didn't change his plan. And so it doesn't matter if the whole world rejects the truth, it's still the truth. Because he said, I am the Lord and I change not. So we must be a peculiar church. Everyone say, a peculiar church. Amen. Holiness, holiness. We've got to be a holiness church. Number six, we must be a powerful church. Everyone say, a powerful church. One of the things that I believe must be, must be a part of this assembly is for the power of God to be present, granting signs following and confirming the word. Mark chapter 16, verse 20. And they went forth. They went forth. They preached everywhere. everywhere. The Lord worked with them, confirming the word word with signs following. I'm telling you, God is not through doing that. Did you hear me? God is not finished confirming his word with signs following. I know, I know it's easier to grab an aspirin bottle and I'm just as guilty as anybody else but I'm going to tell you things uh, I believe are about to change because God's going to take his church back to the place that we start believing for miracles again. And God wants to perform miracles right here in this assembly. Acts chapter 14 and verse 3. Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord which gave testimony unto the word of now, his grace. Now listen, grace. the Lord gave testimony to the word of his grace and granted and signs, granted signs and, wonders and wonders to be, done by, to be done by their hands. God gave testimony that what they're preaching is the truth. New life, I'm telling you, it's time for us to get serious about asking God to start confirming his word. We're not seeking out the signs, but we're asking God to confirm the word. We need it. We need it in this hour. We've got to have it in this hour. I'm telling you, the city, the ancient city of Corinth was one of the most wicked and vile and perverse cities in the history of mankind. Filthy. They had a whole religion that revolved around sex. That was the way they worshipped their God. 
in Corinth. But Paul raised up a mighty church in that city. And how did he do it? By bringing in the best speakers? No. By using all of his education, by plastering his PhD on the wall. That's not how he did it. He told us how he did it. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, when I came to you, came not with I didn't of come with the excellency of speech or of wisdom. Where, where are we here? 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2, verse 1. Amen. Waiting to get it up here on the wall. I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Read. For I determined. I determined. I made up my mind. Not to know anything it didn't you. matter how smart I was. Save Jesus Listen to me, church. There's a big push in our midst, in the apostolic ranks right now, for everybody to go get the highest degrees they can possibly get. I'm not opposed to education. But I'm going to tell you, we're not going to win this world by our degrees. I determined not to know. Listen, all of Greece was extremely proud of their high level of education. You think about the ancient philosophers. Where did they come from? They came from Greece. These were men who were renowned for their uh, logic and their uh, ability to think. Their education is what they were proud of. But Paul said, when I went into Corinth and started preaching, I just made up my mind. I didn't know anything. I'm forgetting everything I know except one thing. That's Jesus Christ and him crucified. Read. And I was with you in weakness weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom. But I'll tell you what it was. It was in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. That's what it's going to take, Brother Jared. That's what it's going to require. If we're going to have a church, we've got to have the power of God in our midst. And I'm telling you, this world is getting more and more like ancient Greece. And sex is becoming their religion. And you know how we're going to change this world? Do you know how we're going to have revival in a wicked and corrupt world? The same way Paul did, by getting the power of God in our church. By seeing the power of God operate in our midst. Come on somebody. I'm telling you this is what God wants for New Life Pentecostal Church. We've got to start seeking earnestly. We've got to start praying fervently. God we want to see your power. We want to see healings. We want to see miracles. We need the power of God like we've never needed it before. I'm going to tell you, while you're praying for the power of God, you need to be praying for God to use you in the gifts of the Spirit. You hear me, church? If we don't have the gifts of the Spirit in operation in this church, we are not going to survive the days that are ahead. Did you hear what I said? We can't make it without the gifts of the Spirit. Well, it got real quiet on that one. But I'm telling you the truth. 
We've got to have it. And you need to be praying for God to use you in those gifts. Let's, let's look at it here real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge. Same spirit. To another, faith. Faith. Same spirit. To another, the gifts of healing. The gifts of healing. By the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. The working of miracles. To another, prophecy. Prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. Diverse kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. The interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one all and the self-same spirit. That one and the self same spirit. Dividing to every, dividing man, to every, every man severally as he will. Now, I'm going to tell you, many of these gifts, many of these gifts will, will be operated by the ministry. There's no question. There's no doubt about that. Things like the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the ministry. God's going to use the ministry in those things. The discerning of spirits. In fact, you, you don't know how many times those gifts have operated because they don't come with neon flashing lights. Word of wisdom in the house. That's the way the charismatics want it to be. That's not the way God operates. Word of knowledge is in the house. Do you know every time the preacher gets up and preaches about your sin and he doesn't know about your sin but he preaches it, do you know that is a word of knowledge? When God has given him information that he couldn't have any other way, that's a word of knowledge. Well, hallelujah. Some of these gifts, there are, there are times during preaching that prophecy is going forth and people don't even realize that's what's happening. They don't even know that that's what's going on, but it is. But I'm going to tell you, there are gifts of the Spirit that God can use you in and you need to be asking God. In fact, let's read the last verse from that chapter, verse 31. What does he say? But covet, but covet, but covet, but covet. You understand how, how strong that word is, covet. Covet earnestly the best, the gifts. best gifts. And yet show, show I unto you a more excellent way. And yet he said, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. And, and then he goes into the whole thing about love and what love is. But he still told us that we need to be coveting the best gifts. Now what are the best gifts? I want to tell you, there, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, discussion about what the best gifts are. My old pastor used to say he believed it was just the best gift for that moment. Whatever was needed at that time, that was the best gift. I think that's a really good explanation. But I think also that, that part of it may be the best gift for the church. What does the church need? I'm going to tell you what we need. We need a word from God. We need to hear from God. And I'm telling you that some of you specifically need to start praying, God, use me in prophecy or use me in the gift of tongues or use me in the gift of interpretation of tongues. We need more of that around here. I'm just telling you, in the days ahead, listen to me, church. Listen to what your pastor's telling you. In the days ahead, if we can't get a direct word from God, we don't know what's going to happen to us. We've got to have that direct connection. We've got to hear that direct voice from God. And I'm not just talking about some message in tongues. Behold, I come quickly, saith the Lord. Now, we know that. 
I'm talking about where God really speaks. We were we were uh, Tulsa here a few weeks ago and tongues and interpretation and part of the interpretation was everyone that has a back problem if you'll lift your hands and worship me I'm going to heal you right now and there were multiple testimonies after that service of people that got healed instantly now now listen to me that's that's when it's real and some of these people just giving out generic messages that could apply to anything and anybody but we need to be praying we need to be praying that God will use us in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, let me rephrase that. You need to be praying that God will use you. Point your finger at yourself. This one right here needs to be praying, God, use me. Use me in the gifts of the Spirit. I want to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. You say, what if I get out of line? That's why you have a pastor. I'm not going to embarrass you unless you're embarrassing us. I can talk to you afterwards. You think you missed it? Come ask me. I'll tell you if you did or not. The Bible tells me to do that. But a lot of times you can tell. Because a lot of times when I know that wasn't the right interpretation, I'll say, come on, God's not finished. I didn't embarrass anybody, but I'm just telling the church, we didn't really hear what God wanted us to hear just yet. But we need more of it, church. You hear me? In this hour, we need it more than we have ever needed it before. We need the gifts of the Spirit in operation. And, and you don't need to just be praying, God, use our pastor that way. You need to be praying, God, use me that way. Hello? Are you still out there? Hallelujah. We need to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. So we must be a powerful church. I'm going to say powerful church. And then number seven, the last, the last of these, and I mentioned to you that I felt like there were seven because seven is God's number of completion. It's, it's God's number of completion. He did things in seven days. When you see the number seven in the scripture, it's always a sign of something that is complete, that is entire. We use the word perfect. People say it's God's perfect number. But, but understand that, that what we mean by that is it's perfect in the sense that it shows everything. There were seven churches in, in Asia that received letters. There were many, many other churches in Asia. But seven of them received letters. Because I believe that if you look at those seven, you will see a picture of what God considers to be the perfect church. If you'll take away all the negatives and add all the positives, then you come up with God's picture of what a church ought to be. That's the number seven. So, so number seven in all of this. We, 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 we've come down through this list and, and, and we've got to be a people church. We've got to be a productive church. We've got to be a praying church. We've got to be a praising church. Amen. We, we've got to be a peculiar church. We've got to be a powerful church. And then number seven. Number seven. We must be a prominent church. A prominent church. Now, by prominent, I don't mean in the eyes of people. I'm not talking about that we've got to be the kind of church that everybody notices and talks about. 
What I mean by prominent is in the eyes of God. In other words, I want this to be a place that God chooses to put his favor here. That when God looks across at churches, God says, there's one right there where I want to dwell. I want to show my glory. Amen. Deuteronomy 12, 11. The Lord talked about this. Uh, read Deuteronomy 12, 11. Then there shall be a there place, shall be a place which, the Lord your God which the Lord your God shall choose, choose to cause his, to name, cause to his name to dwell there. Thither shall you bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the heave offering of your hand, and all your choice vows which ye vow unto the Lord. God told Moses, you're going to build a place where I'm going to choose to put my glory. That's what I want God to do with this place. I want this to be God's choice. Are are you getting what I'm telling you tonight? I don't want this to be just another church among the list of apostolic churches. I want this to be a place that God chooses. Hallelujah. And when Solomon, when Solomon built the temple, this is what God said, Second Chronicles 7 and verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, said to him I have heard thy prayer. I have heard your prayer. And I have chosen this place. And I have chosen this place. To my house, myself, for an house of sacrifice. I chose it. I chose to put my glory in that house. New life, this is my desire above everything else. More than anything that I've talked to you about through this course of of, uh, the series of studies, the thing I want more than anything, I want God to choose to put his glory in this house. Let me tell you something. While I was in Israel... When was that? Two years ago? I think two years ago. Because it was it was in January before we first went to Zimbabwe. So that would have been yeah, it would have been um twenty thirteen, right? January twenty thirteen. We were in Israel. And and our guide, we, we were we were standing at the Jordan River. And um he he had explained to us uh, early in the trip that he had a system whereby he would let us know how authentic each site really was because the fact is that there were a lot of sites in Israel that tradition said this is where a certain thing happened, but nobody could really prove it. There was no evidence. Um, And so he said, I personally will just let you know just how authentic this site is. He said, I have a grading system I use, A, B, or C. He said, if it's a C site, that means... This is what tradition says, but there's not a shred of evidence to prove it. He said, if it's an A site, then he said, that means we've got plenty of evidence. And this is most likely the original site. He said, you know, then a B site would be somewhere in between that. There's a little bit of evidence, uh, not conclusive enough, but there is a chance that this really is the site. Everybody with me? So we're standing on the banks of the Jordan River. 
and he makes a statement to us. He said, this is the spot where the children of Israel crossed when they came into the promised land. I said, A, B, or C. He said, A plus. There is absolutely no question. This is where they came across. He said, now, I will also tell you this. There is a lot of tradition that says that this is where Elijah and Elisha crossed. And that this is where Jesus was baptized by John. And he said, the reason for that tradition is very simple. Because the Jews firmly believe that once God visits a site miraculously, then that site becomes special. And God will go back and visit it again. And so he said when Elijah got ready to go over, he went back to the place there he knew God had already parted the waters once. And he knew if God had parted the waters at that point before, he would do it again. And he went across at that point. Then when Elisha comes back, Elisha walks over to the same spot. God, you visited this spot twice. You'll come back here again because God had chosen that spot. Joshua didn't just end up there. God led Joshua there. This was a spot God chose. Are you with me? And that's why they say so many Christians believe that that's why John would be at that spot. That's where Jesus would find John because everybody knew this is a favored spot. God has visited this place before and God's going to come back to this place. Oh, hallelujah. Listen to me, church, and I feel the Holy Ghost so strong when I'm, I want this to be one of those spots where God says, I'm going back there again. I love that place. I want to show my glory in that place. I want my power to be present in that place. Come on, does anybody feel that way? I don't want this to just be another church. I don't want this to be just another assembly, but I want God to choose this place. Hallelujah. I don't just want God's blessing on us. I want God's favor. I want God's favor. Why do you think that that widow took her dead son and put him on that bed? Who'd been on that bed? The miracle worker the prophet of God he'd been there she wanted her boy on that bed hallelujah I'm telling you God can look down at new life and say I choose this place I choose this place oh hallelujah hallelujah I want the glory of God in our midst. I want his glory here. Listen, listen, listen. Moses, think about Moses. Moses had seen God's fire in the burning bush, right? He saw the fire of God. He had seen God's mercy in the Passover. 
He had seen God's power in the parting of the Red Sea. He had seen God's deliverance in the drowning of Pharaoh's army. And yet, in Exodus 33, after all those things, Moses had one prayer request. Exodus 33, 18. And he said, I he said, thee. I beg you, God, show me, show me your glory. I've seen your fire. I've seen, I've seen your mercy. I've seen your power. I've seen your deliverance. But I want to see your glory. There is something about God's glory that will do what nothing else can. New life, are you hearing me? Are you seeing my vision tonight? That's what I want for this church. I don't just want a church full of people. I don't want you thinking that all I want is a church full of people. No, no, no. I want a church that is full of the glory of God. I want this to be a place that God gets excited. It's Thursday night again. I'm going down to new life. I'm going to meet with those folks in a special way. Oh, it's Sunday morning. I've been waiting now for all this time. Amen. Waiting on them to come together. I can't wait to show up again at new life. Oh, oh, oh. Come on, it's Sunday night. I'm anxious to get back there again. I'm anxious to go back to that place again. God, I want his glory. I want his glory. God told Solomon, I've chosen this place. I chose this place for my glory. Do you know what happened when the glory of God came into that place? 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. And it came to pass. It came to pass. When the priests were the priests come out of the holy place. Come out of the holy place. The cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests. The glory filled the house so that the priests could not stand. Could not stand. To minister because of the cloud. Because of the cloud. For the glory, for the of, the glory of the, the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. I'm not satisfied with just a little bit of dancing, a little bit of running. I'm not even satisfied with a whole lot of dancing and running. You hear me? We got to do it. We got to be a praising church. But I'm not satisfied. With just that, I want the glory of God here. I've seen the glory of God. I've been in services when his glory was so real. I've been in services where I didn't even know what to do with myself. I didn't know how to respond. It was so strong. It was so powerful. I've been in services where the glory of God filled the house and people are being healed all across the auditorium. I've been in services in Africa just within the last two years where the glory of God would settle down wherever we were and people began getting the revelation all over the house. God, I want this to be a place 
where your glory fills the house. I want it to get to a place that it's so strong, it's so thick, that there are times that we can't do anything but just tremble in his presence. I want his glory. I want his glory. I want his glory. And I believe that his glory, even though this is what I want more than anything, I believe it's only going to come when we have fulfilled all of the other requirements. That step of his glory is his crown of blessing upon what we've been doing. We've got to be a people church. We've got to be a productive church. We've got to be a praying church. We've got to be a praising church. We've got to be a peculiar church. We've got to be a powerful church so that we can be a prominent church. You understand what I'm saying? When I say I want this to be prominent in God's have you ever been in a meeting? you ever been in, a, in the midst of a big crowd and you're talking to somebody and you lift your eyes and you see someone that's really special to you? You ever been there? Someone that really means a lot. And, and you don't want to be rude. You're enjoying the conversation. You don't want to just cut it off, but, but that person really means something. You don't want to lose sight. I'll tell you, there have been a few times if they were important enough that I've said to the other individual, would you excuse me just a minute? I, please don't, I, I'm not trying to be rude. Please just excuse me for just a minute. But there's somebody here I've got to catch. I'm going to tell you that's what I want God to feel toward this church. When God's moving and God's blessing other churches and his glory's falling, I want there to be something in the heart of God that he looks over to Olathe, Kansas, and he says, all right, all right excuse me just a minute. i got to make a stop by there. They're waiting on me. I want to show myself strong in their midst. I want to show them my glory. We need your glory, God. We need your glory. I want this to be a prominent church in the sight of God. A church that obtains his favor. Let's stand tonight. I believe if we'll start working through this checklist. And we'll start praying, God, help me. Help me to be a people person. That's how we become a people church. Is we fill it up with individuals who are each a people person. Then we become a people church. We need to be praying, God, make me a people person. God, make me a productive person. God, help me to be a praying person. I want to be a praising person. I want to be a peculiar person. 
I want to be a powerful person so that our church can become a prominent church. The glory of God will settle in upon this house. Come on, let's lift our hands. Let's lift our hands. Oh, let's lift our hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, let's talk to him. Let's talk to him. right now let's reach out to him right now